And good morning. Now it's the early service. How many here consider yourself morning people? Let me see your hand, please. Okay. How many believe it ought to be legal to shoot that crew? All right. Uh, you know, I, I got to let you in on a little secret. I don't like a 3 and $4 gasoline. Uh, how many believe that's too expensive when you're putting it in the car? It just gets old in a hurry. Uh, but a $4 cup of coffee is okay with me, all right? Uh, I just want to let you know if I'm ingesting it by the cup, somehow I'll find a way to pay for that. Uh, but it is certainly an honor to be here. And as your pastor mentioned, I'm an attorney. And uh, my ministry with the National Center for Life and Liberty kind of falls into three big categories. Uh, number one, I litigate cases. We go to court. Uh, we pick juries. We handle cases on appeal. And you say, well, what type of litigation do you do, Mr. Gibbs? Well, we defend churches like this one. And by the way, how many are delighted your church isn't sued right now? That's always a blessing. And uh, sometimes I'm at events or things where we have to talk about complicated legal issues or what the church is facing. And so we stand with ministries and schools and other nonprofits like what this church would do. Uh, we help families like yours. You say, well, Mr. Gibbs, what would my family struggle with? Well, he mentioned life issues. And, and let me just say, um, life is not being protected in this country like it once was. You know, when you, when you go to the hospital now, oftentimes you have to almost kind of fight for, you know, proper care, making sure that uh, life is being protected. And the, and the Terry Schiavo case, it was mentioned, um, and for some of the younger folks, they may not remember that name. It was a huge news story back in 2005, as Pastor mentioned. For a while there, I had like a little entourage media work wanting to capture every word that was said because it was kind of the number one news story at the time. But uh, how many figured out the secular media doesn't always give you the whole picture? You know, and, and a lot of folks would say, you know, that was that girl, she was on life support, she was dead, she was kind of gone. And, and I would just tell you, having been in the room with Terry Schiavo, as alive as anybody sitting here, number two, not sick, and that, that was a unique element. There can be some difficult end-of-life issues, but Terry didn't have cancer, she didn't have Alzheimer's, she didn't have anything that was reasonably expected to end her life anytime soon. And then number three, she just needed food and water to stay alive. Now, how many of you need food and water? May I see your hand, please? That's basic human nourishment, right? You take that away from a human being, and what will happen, we say starvation, but it's really dehydration. Uh, generally, six to seven days you would pass. Uh, Terry Schiavo, I think, demonstrating a will to live, went 13 days without food and water. And um, that case, again, she passed away in 2005. And we find in our country right now that uh, we are not protecting life like we once did. i uh, just give you this little food for thought early in our message this morning. The same country that has basically taken over health care, and how many figured out the government's pretty much running that at this point, also provides your Social Security and is broke. And, and how many see the conflict of interest that's coming? You know, our government right now brings in about $2 trillion uh, annually. How many believe that's a lot of money? Here's the problem. We spend over $3 trillion. Now, easy math question. Is three more than two? Some of y'all ought to run for Congress. You could help them out. All right, they, they, they've got this thing where this one-third deficit can just keep going on endlessly. And, and the reality is, you know, how do you fix the debt? Well, you can kill the currency, you know, put massive inflation. That's what Mexico did. That's what Greece, other countries. But the U.S. dollar, that would really crash the whole world economy. Or 
We could just make sure people don't live so long. And, and, and how many believe um, when you start talking about quality of life, how many believe that's a slippery slope if you're not careful? Our founders, don't forget this, came from a country where the government held life and death in its hands. If the king said, off with your head, guess what? Not a good day for you. Why? The government could decide. Um, and our founders said, you know, if we're going to have liberty and the pursuit of happiness, if we're going to have these guarantees that matter to us, it's not going to just start with that. It's going to start with protecting innocent life. And then once that value is protected, um, liberty and the pursuit of happiness can ensue. And so we uh, represent life cases. Uh, we are in the workplaces of our nation. I uh, just talked to a, a police captain in the state of Florida yesterday. And um, basically, uh, he's been demoted and threatened with the loss of his job because he invited a few of his co-workers to a sportsman's banquet hosted by his church. And they said, well, you know, what is this thing? He said, well, it's kind of a motivational talk for men. Now they want to file criminal charges and say that's perjury because churches can't do motivation. It's all religious. And you see the increasing hostility in the workplaces of our nation. Uh, how many figured out the homosexuals are out of the closet? And they are getting favor and special treatment, and the people of faith are finding more difficulty. It might be dealing with your children. Uh, how many believe parental rights are under attack in America? Now, let me give you the, the lie, and I think you'll agree with me. Here is the lie in modern America as it pertains to children. Okay, here it is. Children should decide for themselves without the input of. Now we'll stop right there and you can fill in the words, the responsible adults. Okay, so you can say, children should decide for themselves without the input of the parent. Children should decide for themselves without the input of the man of God or the pastor. Children should decide for themselves without the input of the teacher, the mentor, the coach, the neighbor, the grandparent. The responsible adults from a generation ago felt a duty, and there was a societal push for this, to pass on values. You know, now we as people of faith, we would want our faith values, but even just regular citizens wanted to pass along hard work, good citizenship, being productive, education matters, you know, good messages of training and help so the next generation could be developed and trained to be successful. Well, today the lie of the culture, and we know all lies come from the devil, is that the adults need to just back off. And we need to just let these kids kind of decide for themselves. And, you know, the psychologists will throw some things out like, these kids are under stress. Now, how many understand they're drinking $4 lattes? They're playing really cool video games. They're living off their parents, but they're under stress right now. And so we need to not impose any values on them. We need to just let them decide. That's why you can walk into Ohio Public School and say, today I'm a boy, but I think I'd like to be a girl. And without any input from professionals or parents or any religious input, these decisions are protected. And, and that's why teachers are told, you know, don't say boys sit over here and girls sit over there. Why? That's going to pressure the children. It's got to be their choice. So say if you like blue, sit on this side. If you like pink, sit on this side. And make everything where the children can decide for themselves. Now, besides being morally bankrupt, how many believe that's just bizarre educational policy? And that's what's going on in our culture. Now, i got to let you in on a little secret. I grew up in a different era. Some of you did too. Uh, 
Uh, how many remember when people who were not related to you could spank? How many remember those days? You know, some of the young eyes are looking at me like, what, that happened? <laughs> oh, yeah, it happened. How many remember when churches spanked, schools spanked, uh, neighbors spanked? Let's be candid. A total stranger could deck me, and my mother would go, thank you, he needed that. It's like there's beating bank account that needed to remain funded, you know, and, you know, and by the way, if your parents ever spanked you by mistake, did they apologize? No, they had clever lines back then, like, I'm just getting you for something you got away with before I didn't know about, you know, uh, man, I, this bank account needs to stay funded. Um, and by the way, if I ever got spanked by somebody who wasn't related to me, I had one prayer in life. How many of you know what that prayer was? Don't want my parents to find out. Because I would explain to my mother how my civil rights had been violated and she would re-violate my rights. It never worked for me, ever. <laughs> but we watch in society right now where that fundamental right, as our Supreme Court has described it, of parents to direct and control the upbringing of the children is increasingly under attack. And so we work on those kind of cases for families. Uh, we also do some litigation in the public interest. Just had an interesting case in Richmond, Virginia. It's up on appeal to the Fourth Circuit there, which sits under the Supreme Court. The issue of that case in a nutshell, is the name Jesus still constitutional in America? Now, how many believe Jesus ought to be constitutional? And the ACLU's taken the position that if there's any government event, in this case, it was a county commission meeting opening with a word of prayer. And at the end of the prayer, the guy said, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. And by the way, how many have heard those words before? Pretty traditional ending to an evangelical or Christian prayer. Well, the um, ACLU says, you know, the problem with Jesus is Jesus said there's only one way to heaven. And by the way, how many agree with Jesus on that? And if you don't, my friend, we're going to encourage you to trust Jesus today because that is the core of the Christian message, that Jesus was the Son of God, Savior of the world. We put our faith and confidence in him, and he saves us and paid for our sin. I mean, that is our message. Well, they don't even, it's not preaching. They just don't want to even hear his name anymore. And so we litigate those kind of cases. Uh, quickly, we also work in Washington. Um, how many believe Washington's at least interesting at this point? You elect a reality TV guy, he keeps it fascinating. You know, there's a lot going on. But we meet with the Congress weekly and the White House and work on policy in the Capitol. Uh, one uh, facet, we certainly deal with faith and life and, and liberty issues, but one thing we do try to remind all of them in Washington, uh, how many believe the founders intended for it to be a limited government? And by the way, all three branches are kind of out of control. I mean, um, you know, Mr. Trump had Mr. Obama ahead of him, Mr. Bush ahead of him. Uh, how many believe they ought to at least look at the Constitution before they do something and really decide, is this the function of government? Is this what we should be doing? I've mentioned the Congress uh, being very irresponsible with the budget. And then the Supreme Court. And, and by the way, how many are delighted we got the new justice we got? as opposed to what we could have had. And in some measures, for more conservative folks, the election probably is like, wow, at least we got a little better Supreme Court. But the, the, the bottom line is it was never intended for that court to have the authority that it does. And uh, Justice Scalia, before he died, uh, it was a great comment. He said, you know, why should five out of nine lawyers 
be making these important decisions for the nation. And it was never intended by the founders to be that way. Um, I have with me today, your pastor mentioned it, a book called Understanding the Constitution. And by the way, uh, how many believe one of the reasons why we're losing our liberties is we don't even know what they are anymore? Now, don't raise your hand, not going to embarrass anybody, but if I said, have you read the Constitution? A lot of folks would be like, man, that's got to be long. That's, that's what lawyers mess with or professors or academics or teachers or, you know, it's, it's dusty. And, you know, one of the brilliant elements of the Constitution is how short it is. Seven articles, 27 amendments, first 10 were the Bill of Rights. So it's really, you know, probably 20, 30 minutes you could read the whole thing. And, and uh, this book kind of outlines and gives you, from a Christian perspective, um, an understanding of what the Constitution intended to accomplish. You know, kind of fascinating, they intended for the Bible to be read alongside the Constitution. Uh, how many think George Washington, when he asked for the Bible to be brought, to be sworn in on, that was not just symbolic, that was significant in terms of how they were looking at their government. But if you have your Bibles this morning, to turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. I want to show you a verse, and who's the early church? Okay, these are the folks that got the gospel to the world. We sit here today whether most of us are Gentile, but whether Jew or Gentile, because of the early church. And I think sometimes we um, maybe minimize the difficulty they were facing. Economically, these people had real challenges. The minute they named the name of Christ, guess what happened? They were cut off from their families. You say, well, that, that's sad. They wouldn't have fellowship or support. No, it's worse than that. They worked for their families. So naming Jesus as their Savior, instantaneous unemployment. You say, well, they'd live off their savings. No, it was all tied up in the family business. What about their retirement? Nope, it was all tied up in a family system. And so for many of them, when they named the name of Christ, it was instantaneous financial pressure. Plus, society was discriminating against them and wouldn't do business with them. And you see in the Bible where it says they pooled or joined all things common uh, some people say that promotes socialism. Uh, might I suggest it was survival? Uh, they were literally creating their own little sub-economy. What do you have? Here's what I have. What do you have? And they had to buy and trade amongst themselves. And so economically, it was real tough. But then number two, their government turned on them. Um, they were accused of being traitors. You're loyal to this King Jesus we killed. You're not loyal to us, the government. And the Christians would try to say, oh, ruling authority, I pledge you my obedience, I pledge you my taxes, my subjection as a citizen, but I can't deny my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And with words like that, they were put in jail. Nobody here wants to go to jail, but may I suggest that our American prisons, our American jails are an absolute delight compared to what they were being put in. Uh, ours are indoors, climate-controlled, basically humane treatment. Theirs were more outdoors. Think fields, caves, rocks, pits. Think more how you treat farm animals. That's kind of how prisoners, they would get cordoned off. There might be like a little stream or a little creek, and that would be the drinking water, the bathing water, and the bathroom water. It was just, they were treated like animals. And interesting, also, most of these jails had no food service. So that was a family responsibility. Well, you see the double problem. The families have cut them off, and now they're in these jails with no food. And so many Christians 
uh, were only in these jails for a matter of days or weeks. They would die of the dehydration, starvation, and neglect. And that's what their government was allowing to happen. And then society hated them. You can see this very graphically in the, the martyrdoms. And again, that's a word we don't use a lot today. You know, we might hear Fox's Book of Martyrs, but what was a martyrdom? It was public murder. We would kill these people for entertainment value. People would buy tickets and show up to watch the Christians be killed. And there was a whole sick industry. They'd get these animals whooped into a frenzy, and obviously the death on the floor was part of what the people came to see. But there was another sad part to it. They would put all the women on one side, all the men on the other, and they'd start releasing children one at a time to be killed. And the crowd, to stay engaged in the sick activity, would look across the mothers and grandmothers and try to guess who was related to the child being killed. And then they'd look to the fathers, and that would kind of give them a little maybe in-between-the-action activity to keep the crowd engaged. And the women were then killed the same way, the men helpless to do anything for them. And then the men were put to death in a pecking order. They would start with the younger then they'd move up to the more mature. The grand finale, on their feet, cheering, chanting, yelling, right before they go home, it was the man of God, it was the pastor, it was the missionary, it was the evangelist. You could use words like bishop or elder. It was the person they deemed responsible for Jesus in their territory. And they did not want that man to just die after having watched his family be killed. They wanted him to die after having watched all of his converts, his followers, his young church, having been put to death before his eyes. How many appreciate the sacrifice of the early church? And as we sit here today, there's many things in America we can be concerned about, but how many believe God has blessed us with kind of unbelievable prosperity in this country? And, and we have a government that at times is dysfunctional. We can all talk about that, but... We at least have a court system, we have some civility, we can vote, we have some input, and, and certainly our safety and security, we need to be careful, uh, but how many appreciate the fact that we have a lot of safety in this country? The early church was facing some real hardship when they prayed a prayer. Look at it in Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, the prayer. Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all, the next word is boldness. Say that word out loud with me. Boldness, they may speak thy word. What an incredible prayer. Lord, look at what's going on. Look at all the difficulties. Look at all the problems. Look at all the financial pressures. Look at this unfair government. Man, they're, they're trying to, Lord, behold the threatenings. But notice their prayer. Would you Grant, would you give us boldness to speak thy word? A couple quick thoughts about this prayer. Number one, notice they didn't ask for the threatenings to go away. Uh, how many believe God's on the throne? And God puts a lot of things in your life that are under his control. You could have freedom today. You could have persecution. You could have good health, bad health. You could have a bunch of money. You could have next to no money. But how many believe that's all in the hands of the Lord? And the early church accepted the fact that said, Lord, behold, you know what it is. They could have as easily said, Lord, behold all the blessings. But they understood that that was in the control of God. 
But what did they pray for? They prayed for what they could control. They said, Lord, would you give us this boldness? And the boldness they asked for was not to render their own opinions. How many of you, like me, have decided there's enough opinions in the world? Uh, by the way, how many have ever had a stupid opinion? Can I see your hand, please? If you didn't raise your hand, you just lied in church. It's okay. But, you know, here, here's the reality. You know, it can be political. It can be personal. It can be religious leadership. But the early church said, no, no, no. We're not going to give the opinions of men. We want to boldly declare the truth of the word of God. How many believe that's the kind of boldness we need in America right now? We need some more bold churches. Now, may I give you some good news this morning? How many rejoice that you are sitting in a bold church for Jesus Christ? You're in a church that unashamedly, unequivocally speaks the whole counsel of the Word of God. But could I give you this thought this morning? This church is making a bigger impact than you may realize. You say, well, Mr. Gibbs, we like our church. We come. We're, we're happy to be here. May I suggest that this church is making an impact in the society that is far beyond what we may realize. If we were to look at it from heaven's perspective, how many believe this church is doing a great work for God himself? And one of the questions is, how excited are you about what your church is doing? You say, well, Mr. Gibbs, I'm here. Doesn't that count for something? It certainly does. We love it that you're here. But can I give you human excitement 101? What do excited people do? They talk about what they're excited about. They spend time on what they're excited about. They spend money on what they're excited about. Uh, a fella takes up hunting. Do we have any hunters in the room? What do hunters do? They talk. Now, they will lie. They will exaggerate, but they will talk. You know, they'll say they got the animal. They'll fail to mention they ran over it with the truck, but they got it. You know, they could actually shoot it, but it's dead. You know, they'll talk. Um, time, you know, church is awful early at you know, 9.30. Wow, have to get out. But, you know, they can be in some deer stand at 3.30 in the morning on a cold day. Why? They're excited. You know, there's something they want to go do. And, and money, please understand, I need this $1,500 weapon to go shoot $4 birds. It just works out for me, all right? You know, in 92 years, if I don't count the ammo costs, I break even. But you say, is there anything wrong with that? No, it's wonderful. By the way, that's what makes you different than the animals. Uh, how many believe we're made in the image of God? Passion, purpose, zeal, energy. I want you to be excited. I want you to live life to the fullest. I want you to have things you care about. But now can I just pull it over? How excited are you about your church? I mean, are you talking about it? Boy, all these special weekends and things that are going on. What a great time to be letting folks know. And I congratulate you. What an Easter Sunday. What a great crowd. People being saved. What a great impact. But are you talking about it? Is there some zeal, some enthusiasm? And, and time, you're here. Uh, but may I challenge you? Your presence is important. You say, David, I've been in church a long time. Uh, could I just challenge you with this? You don't just come to church for what you get. And by the way, how many believe you do get good things when you come? But even if you've heard it all and got your whole Bible outlined twice, how many believe you also come to set an example for others? How many of the young people, the kids, the grandkids are looking to see if grandpa, grandma are still in church? Your presence is a great example and an encouragement. And then money, you all been a great church, you've paid your bills, you've been very responsible, but I always view giving money to God 
a lot like getting a, a Christmas present from your own child. Uh, my daughter, Danielle, she's now a young adult. She's 19. But when she was a little girl, she would walk up to me and she'd be like, Daddy, I want to get you a Christmas present. And I'd be like, oh, Danielle, thank you. She'd say, can I have some money? And what would I do? Just what you do. I'd give the little girl some money and let her go buy me a present. And, and you know, interesting, my Danielle, your kids probably do the same thing. She would not spend all of that money on me. There were things little girls needed, whether it was gum or earrings or whatever. And, and she would take a portion of what her daddy gave her, and I'd get a little gift at the holidays or other times. And, and, and you all have done that. But may I just suggest, how many believe God's been too good to all of us? with health, with energy, with opportunity, and and we get to give a little bit back to him. Could I challenge you? Let's be excited about this church, and let's let it be bold for Jesus Christ like never before. Give you one more thought, and we'll be done. How many believe we don't just need bold churches? How many believe we need some bold individuals for Jesus Christ? Homosexuals are out of the closet. Lots of Christians have climbed in. I'll give you a thought. We could reach Ohio for Jesus. We could reach America. We could reach the world. You say, Mr. Gibbs, how? If you'd make the decision to reach one soul for Jesus this year. Now, I hope you do more, but just just one. Now, that's step one. And we know God does the saving. How many believe we just do the sharing? But reach one soul for Jesus this year. But then number two, this is the harder part. You have to disciple them. Now, why is discipleship harder? You got to spend time with them. You have to be nice to them. You got to kind of pick up the mess of their life and help them become productive. But you disciple them well enough that they'll go reach one soul for Christ a year, and then you do it again. You say, let me get this straight. Soul for Christ a year, yep. Disciple them well enough to reach a soul for Christ a year, yep. Go do it again. My math people here are saying, well, that would start to grow. And you're right, it would. Use a big word in church, exponentially, it would expand. Get ready for this, not Ohio, not the U.S., the whole world in a little over 35 years. If we'd reach a soul for Christ a year and disciple them well enough to reach a soul for Christ a year. You're sitting there going, well, yeah, I guess that could work. Now, in the end, it might be hard to line up the lost people and the saved people, but if you could get it done, that that could work. But David, we got a problem we got a problem. There's some people in this church that aren't going to do it. They've just never done it. It's not their thing. So your plan won't work. May I give you some good news this morning? We don't need those people. We just need you. You're like, oh, man. Came to church this morning. Now i got to save the whole world. Okay, that seems like a lot of pressure. Okay. <laughs> Now, now, hear me out. I, I'm, I grew up in the 70s. I've heard some good guilt-laden sermons in my day, okay? But I'm not here to dump a lot of pressure on you because you know what? How many understand guilt will dissipate quickly? Uh, you know what saint stands for? You know, Sunday afternoon is nap time. So by the time you hit the nap, the guilt is gone, and then TV, dinner, and life goes on. But you know what I would like to do is just open the eyes of everybody here to the possibility that any of us could reach a soul for Christ a year 
and start discipling them well enough to reach a soul for Christ a year. Now imagine in this great church if a few dozen did it, or imagine if a few hundred did it. Imagine if across Ohio a few thousand. Imagine if across America a few tens of thousands. Maybe around the world could a million people do it. And then all of a sudden, years and decades would come off because it would move so much more quickly. You say, David, people don't want to hear it. How many believe the early church could have had a lot of excuses? Lord, behold the threatenings. But would you grant, would you give unto us as your servants that with all, say the word one more time, boldness. Say it one more time. Boldness. We would speak the truth of your word.